You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Thankful for that truth. And uh, it, is, it is true. Um, it's only in Christ alone that we have any power, any strength, any help. This morning, if you've come to, to Eastside Baptist Church, and I see, again, a number of new faces. If you've come this morning, you're trusting in anything except for Jesus Christ for your soul, for eternity, then you're trusting in the wrong thing. And Jesus only is, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I'm just telling you this morning, you can place your faith in Christ alone and leave the property today knowing when you die, you'll spend eternity in heaven with God. And that, that's available to you this morning. And I don't want to, don't want to just skim over that and, and, and pretend like there's nobody here that needs to hear that. I hope that you'll pay attention to that this morning. And then we're going to be looking in uh, Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23. This is, uh, this is our continuation in the series of the book on, of Genesis, and uh, I'm looking forward to the, the, the message this morning um, in my own study, just trying to, sometimes it's hard to know exactly, uh, you know, the, really the, what to focus on when you're doing expositional preaching, and, uh, and I do believe that the Lord gave me um, what, what he wanted from the passage, and I hope it'll be an encouragement this morning uh, where we're back in Genesis, in Abraham's life. Now, if you'll remember, the last time we were in Genesis, Genesis 22, Abraham has just taken Isaac up to the top of the mountain to offer him in obedience to God. And God, at the last minute, it would seem last minute to Abraham, God knew he was going to do it all along. He sends a ram, and Abraham proves his faith, and it's a high point in Abraham's life. Okay, that's the, that really is the climax of Abraham's story what took place right there with Isaac. Well, if you've ever wondered what it's like to be on a spiritual roller coaster, Abraham's life is one of those. Because he has lots of high points, but he also takes some pretty deep dips at times. And this morning's message is one of the other, it's a down. It's, it's not the top of the mountain, it's kind of one of the low points of his life. And, and uh, now thankfully, from my understanding, this te- text place, takes place about... 15 to 20 years after the previous chapter. So it's not like it's right one right after the other. But we're about to see Abraham's response to the death of his wife, Sarah. His beloved wife, mother of Isaac, she dies here in chapter 23. And I want to see his response and notice a few things. Let's stand together. Genesis chapter 23 <clears throat> I was so excited about singing, about preaching the word, that I, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to preach the word now. My voice is, uh, I think I overdid it a little bit. I was excited about the song. Genesis 23, verse 1, let's read. It says, And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Let me just stop here and add a little commentary. She's the only woman in the Bible whose age at death is recorded. And actually, there aren't many women in the Bible whose age is listed at all. And so, men, I think that's a biblical reason why we don't talk about the age of the women around us, okay? 
It's God's method. But Sarah, but just in case you're wondering, you say, well, why does she get that privilege, if it is a privilege? Why, does she, why is it listed for her, not anybody else? Well, um, let me just remind you, she's the mother of the nation of Israel. And she's one of only two women listed in Hebrews 11 in the great hall of faith. Now, many more could have been listed, but it was Sarah and Rahab the harlot. Isn't that interesting? Look at verse 2. It says, And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as, as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now, what it seems like, and I'm going to add commentary so we don't have to go back and do as much later. It seems that Abraham wasn't with Sarah at her time of death. And uh, Hebron and Beersheba, uh, where Abraham had settled just one chapter before, they're about 24 miles apart. And it could be that Sarah and Abraham weren't together when she died. But what we do know is that he comes to where she died and he, he comes truly grieving. And I just want to remind you that if she's 127 and he's 10 years older than her, chances are that they had been married for maybe 100 years, maybe even more. So if you can imagine, and I can't imagine what that would be like, but their life together has come to an end, and he's grieving. But one thing he knows is that he has to take care of business. And I want you to notice, look at verse 3. It says in verse 3, And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth. Here's what he says. I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. That means he, is, he has no land. He is not a landowner. He hasn't bought any property. He lives in this land of Canaan, and he's never settled in one place permanently. He says, give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. So he comes to basically bargain for a place to bury Sarah. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us in the choice of our sepulchres, bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulcher, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. So they come and they say, we know who you are. You're a man of power. You have a great testimony. We have lots of tombs. The men of Heth, they're, they're Hittites. They say, we have lots of tombs. You can use one of our tombs to bury Sarah. But Abraham's not interested in somebody else's tomb. Look at verse 7. It says, and Abraham stood up. And bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his field. For as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for a possession of burying place, of a burying place amongst you." Abraham's not interested in somebody else's tomb. He's interested in purchasing property of his own to bury his wife, Sarah. We'll see why that's significant later. Look at verse 10. Ephron, the one who obviously owns the cave, it says, Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that went in at the gate of his city, saying, Nay, my Lord, hear me. The field give I thee, and the cave that is therein, I give it thee. In the presence of the sons of my people, give I it thee, bury thy dead. Ephron says, just take the field, take the cave. 
Well, Abram doesn't want any part of that either. It says in verse 12, Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land, and he spake unto Ephron in the audience of the people of the land, saying, but if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me, I will give thee money for the field, take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. Verse 14, and Ephron answered Abraham, saying unto him, my Lord, hearken unto me, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury, therefore, thy dead. So that's, a, by the way, a significant amount of money. We don't know exactly what it would be in today's currency, but this is a huge sum. It says, verse 16, And Abraham hearkened unto Ephron, and Abraham weighed to Ephron the silver which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver. He just has it ready. He's a very wealthy man. Current money with the merchant. And the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field, and the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, that were in all the borders round about, were made sure unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth before all that went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field... And the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. As important as all of this was, we can't really miss what's happening. You might say, Abraham is trying to find a place to bury Sarah. And that's true, but he's not just interested in burying his wife. See, he was looking ahead to the promises God had made him. And he, you say, well, how do you know? Well, based on his actions, he's proving he has faith in God's promises. And here's the lesson that I hope, I know you've been standing. Here's the lesson I hope to see. The only way to find meaning in our losses is to trust that God's promises are still true. See, life is not easy. We're going to face tremendous loss. And our only hope in a loss is that we still have God's promises. And we're going to see that from the life of Abraham. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word today. One of the hardest lessons to learn as a child is losing with grace. And I, I, I may, if you've raised children, you, you know this, whether it's playing soccer or it's, it's uh, playing a game or it's playing tag or it's being first in line for something or getting the most of the ice cream. If you have children and more than one child, you know these things. Loss feels heavy when you're a child. I, I remember with all of our kids trying to teach them how to play uh, board games and you know, a game like Candyland. It's devastating when you lose. And, and I don't know where they get the competitive nature, but I agree with them because Candyland takes absolutely no skill to win. I'm not sure why they're so competitive about board games, but they just are. You know, it's hard to teach them how to handle loss. But the older they get, we must teach them, though, how to handle it when you don't get your way and you're not first. Because the older they get, their losses will be heavier. And the older they get, the losses will sting more. They'll be more significant. And if you've lived any length of time in your life, then you understand what losses are. And this account of Abraham, it gives us a wonderful blueprint for dealing with loss. Because Abraham's actions are the action of a man who chose to believe that God's promises didn't end at death. 
And that's significant. And there are some important truths that I want to learn from his life today. As a believer faces loss. See, even with promises, we will deal with loss. And that's the first truth that we just have to understand that we place over this. Even with promises, we will deal with loss. Sarah died and Abraham mourned and Abraham wept and he cried. And nowhere, listen, nowhere in the Bible are we told that we won't suffer if we follow God. I mean, tell me one Old Testament character that had it easy following God. I mean, I think about Moses. He led a couple million grumblers through the wilderness for 40 years. That was not easy. I think about David, who was chased around the countryside for seven years by King Saul. He didn't have it easy, and yet he was following God. I think about Joseph, who certainly didn't have it easy. His brothers sold him into slavery. Uh, he was lied about by Potiphar's wife. He was placed in prison. He was forgotten. I mean, no, none of those men had it easy. Daniel's reward for prayer three times a day was a lion's den. So before we think that we're following God and therefore we somehow get a free pass, it's not the way life works. It wasn't much better in the New Testament. Think about the disciples. Uh, most of Jesus' core, besides Judas and, and the Apostle John, uh, history or legend tells us, tradition tells us, they all died by martyrdom. I mean, the Apostle Paul was martyred. And if you read 1 Corinthians 11, you know that his life was not easy, yet he followed God. And the greatest example of, of, of following God and not, not getting a free pass for suffering is Jesus Christ himself. God's people don't get to escape the sorrows of death just because we follow God. And I, I don't have to labor on this point because you know it. We've all faced difficult loss. Some of us have faced more difficult loss than others. You can't escape it. Death is a part of life. And by the way, listen, death is not a result of God being cruel to his creation. Death did not even exist until Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and the punishment for their sin was death, for the wages of sin is death. And so don't let anybody tell you that God's a cruel God because we have to deal with death and deal with loss. No, the death and the loss are the result of our own decision to sin. It's the wage of sin. The wages of sin is death. Romans 5.12 says, And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We can't even blame Adam and Eve. We are responsible for ourselves. Life is full of loss. Abraham dealt with it, and when he did, he mourned. Let me just point that out. He mourned for the loss. He, he grieved. And listen, I just want to tell you, it's okay to grieve. It's a necessary process. And it doesn't mean that you've lost your faith if you grieve. And I know it's hard to come to terms with some of those things. Knowing that you'll never see that person on this earth again. Knowing that you won't hear their voice again. Knowing that you won't enjoy their company again on this earth. Can you imagine the loneliness Abraham faced? Married for possibly a hundred years. I mean, I don't even, that'd be a centennial anniversary. I mean, it'd be, some, it'd be that, that doesn't happen. Married a hundred years? Can you imagine then it, it, the, what it would feel like then after that many years to be separated from the spouse that you've been together with so long? I can't even begin to imagine. And I just want to say to those in here, to our widows and our widowers, uh, I can't imagine the loss it would be if you've been married for any length of time, but especially those that have been married for years. And I just pray for God's grace on your life. 
I can't imagine having part of your soul. I mean, the Bible says when you get married, that two become one. And that's not a physical bond. That's a spiritual bond. It transcends our physical bodies. And you're, you're joined in a way that you could never be joined to anybody else. There's a bond there that you can't explain. And here's Abraham dealing with the loss. It would be natural for him to grieve and mourn. He was facing difficulty, but I really believe that what made this even more difficult was the question that was probably on his mind. What about the promises? What about the promises? I mean, the Lord had made promises to Abraham. He'd promised him land. He'd promised him a great nation. He'd promised him blessings. He'd promised him a great name. He'd promised him protection. He'd promised him the future Messiah. Don't you think that as Abraham was mourning over Sarah's lifeless body, that he could have been thinking, what about the promises? What does this do to the promises that God made? Because the promises were just as much about Sarah as they were about Abraham. I mean, Abraham needed Sarah, those two to come together to produce the son through whom the promises would come. And those promised blessings, listen, if you think back on the last few months we've been looking at Abraham's life, if you think back about it, the promises were on his mind all the time. Just about every decision that he made that's recorded is about the promises. And I imagine as he's mourning the loss of his life, of his wife, that he's thinking, this is not what it was supposed to look like. I thought we would get the promises. And many people lose sight of the promises when they face death. And not to mention, back at the end of chapter 22, and we're not going to read it, but Abraham had received a report just just a few verses earlier. Abraham had received a report that back in Haran, where they had first settled, where his father died, back in Haran, where the rest of their family was, things were going great. Back in Haran, their family was having children, they were reproducing, they were being blessed, they probably had all kinds of wealth. And we know when, when um, Jacob goes back to visit his family, Uncle Laban, you remember those stories? We'll get to those eventually. Um, when he goes back to visit Uncle Laban, Uncle Laban's rich beyond measure. So Abraham heard, hears these reports that life is good back in Haran. Here he is in Canaan, and the love of his life is now dead. And you, know, you have to think, in naturally speaking, that most of us would be like, you know what? I'm just going to go home. I'm just going to go home. I don't have any land here. I don't own anything here. My wife of years and years is dead. And after all, it was customary in those days to bury your dead in the place that you consider home. So you have to think that would have crossed his mind. And he's thinking, What about the promises? And we can do that too. We can look at the hardships and we can think, where are the blessings? We deal with loss and we we make you second guess things. You might lose somebody and you might ask yourself, what about blessings? And you face loss and you think, this doesn't feel like a promise. But we have to remember in these things, the the loss can give us an opportunity to exercise faith. Because we're not told to avoid loss. As a matter of fact, we're told to respond to it by faith, trusting in the Lord. We're not told we're going to get around it. We're not told we're going to escape it. There's no free pass. And I want you to notice what Abraham did. He didn't just mourn and say, God, your promises are over. Um, All those things that you promised to bless, they're gone. They died with Sarah. No, no, he just, he sought to bury her in the promised land. He wasn't looking to go home. He was making a claim that this is his home. 
He was saying, no, this is where you led me. In other words, he's remembering God's promises. And he knew this was the place God had led him. So he decides this. He says, I will operate by faith because Sarah, listen, I will operate by faith because Sarah might be God, might be gone, but God's promises aren't dead. I will operate by faith because Sarah might be gone, but God's promises are not dead. And listen, I just want this to be a phrase that we remember and that we file away when there's a loss. Because we can say, we name the loss and I say, listen, I know that this part of my life is disappointing. And I know this is a major loss. But I remember though this, that God's promises don't die just because I experience a loss. Just because my husband left, God's promises are, are, it doesn't make them not true. And just because I lost a loved one, it doesn't mean that God's promises aren't true. And just because I'm feeling the heaviness of a loss, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about me anymore. No, death does not cancel out God's promises. And that's the next main point that I want to look at, is that promises don't end at death. God's promises, listen, for the believer, God's promises do not end at death. And we're not going to get into the details of the transaction, but I just want to point out what Abraham did to secure this burial plot. He knows the practical issue at hand. The practical issue at hand is that, yes, he's feeling the loss of his, of his wife, Sarah, but he has to find a place to bury her. By the way, I think this is an effect of God's grace that after death there's business to attend to. Because, listen, if, if after death that was it and there was nothing to do, we might just then, that morning might just take us completely out of the picture. But when you suffer a loss, yes, there's grief, but you also know there's business to take care of. And I think it's God's way of helping us stand back up and get busy again. I mean, and I know this isn't, this isn't nearly the loss what some of you have faced, but this is just a small example. Last year when we dropped our daughter off at college for the first time in Oklahoma and we were driving away and it was all I could do to just maintain my dad composure. I was having a, I was having a dad grief moment, leaving my little 17-year-old blonde girl on a campus 600 miles away. We pulled out of the parking lot, we're driving, and I, all I, I just wanted a U-turn. As they say in Australia, I just wanted to chuck a U.E. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> but then something came to our attention driving down 10th Street in Oklahoma City that there was a problem with my credit card, my debit card. There was fraud on the credit card. So we immediately get on the phone. We're making phone calls. We have to stop at a bank to figure things out. And by the time we got it all done, we were okay. You know, I think God does that, is that the grief would feel so heavy that it would almost be unsurvivable, except that God allows things to come in that we have to take care of. And it helps us get out of the bed. It helps us stand up on our feet. It helps us to, to go take care of business when we would just simply be wallowing in our grief. And I know that that's real. I know the grief is real. I know the mourning is real. But I also think I'm thankful for the times that God sends business that we have to take care of because it gets us up. And listen, Abraham, it doesn't mean it was easy. 67 years or so of following God at this point, and Abraham doesn't even own land. Okay, he, he didn't, um, Dave Ramsey would not be happy with Abraham. 
he, he'd been, he has no land. He has nothing to show. I mean, he's got great wealth and riches, but he, he's a sojourner. He's a pilgrim, and it's a picture, obviously, but he's a, his life is a picture of our lives on earth, by the way, and that we, we shouldn't dig our roots too deep because we're citizens of another country. And this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I mean, break out the banjo, okay? <laughs> my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I, I love this. I love the, the thought of that song. It's just happy. Just as a reminder, because listen, we dig our, deep, our roots too deep sometimes. And we got too many of God's people that are living for the wealth or they're living for the stuff or they're living for the position, they're living for the power, the prestige. And we have to be reminded that with Abraham, who was the father of Israel, who had great faith, Hebrews says he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles or tents. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That was his priority. Don't plant your roots too deep right here. We have a problem with that in America. Some people might say that Abraham shouldn't have bought a burial plot then. What's he doing? Buying property. No, but this is different. I don't believe that he was was planting his roots on earth. I believe that he was attaching his roots to God's promises. See, there's a three-part dialogue that takes place here. This is between Abraham and, and the children of Heth and Ephron, the Hittite. He first asked for a plot of land, and you, we already read it. And they respond by saying, we, you can have any tomb you want. You can bury your wife anywhere you want. And, he's, and basically, he's, he kind of waves it off. He says, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to bury my wife in one of your caves, in one of your tombs. No, he says, there's a cave that I've seen. I don't know how he, how he knew the cave in Machpelah. Uh, he knows about this cave over here. And he says, I want to talk to Ephron, who owns this cave, and he owns this land, this property. That's the cave I want. And you say, well, why did he want that specific cave? And I'll just have to say, I don't know. Except that that cave was in the promised land. And Abraham wanted to send the message, not just to God, but to everybody around him. That his home was where God had led him. And he wanted then, by buying this plot, by buying this cave, he was attaching himself to God's promises. This piece of property was going to be uh, the place he would bury Sarah. But more than that, this piece of property was the first place that he had owned. The first piece of property that anybody connected with Abraham would ever own in 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 that country of Canaan. He was attaching himself. He was putting his roots down in a place where God had called him. He was remembering God's promises and attaching himself there. And, I, and he wasn't just burying Sarah. This place became the, the place where Sarah and Abraham both were buried. Isaac and Rebekah were both buried. Jacob and Leah were buried here. This became not just a place for Abraham and Sarah. It became a place for his descendants. He was attaching not just himself, but the people coming behind him to God's promises. And I think about parents. You know, parents, uh, we think that what we do doesn't really have much of an impact. But listen, you are sending signals all the time to your children about where your heart lies based on the roots that you attach. And parents, we've got to be careful because they're coming behind us. We've got to be careful to attach our roots to the things that matter the most in eternity. Because if we attach our roots to the money, our children will grow there. And if we attach our roots uh, to the stuff and the possessions, our children will grow there. But if we attach our roots to the things that God loves, like, oh, his church... 
and we attach our roots to the things that we know will have the most impact in eternity, our children will be planted right there. And I'm not saying that they won't uproot and go somewhere else, but we will help them immensely by attaching our roots to the things that matter the most to God. Church membership, serving, I mean, being faithful, loving God, reading your Bible, walking with God. Staying awake in church. I don't know where that one came from. Just felt right in the moment, just as I look around the room. You know, attach ourselves. Build some, establish some roots where you know if your children grow right here, it's a good place for them to be. And here's where we see Abraham taking steps of faith. The fact that he purchased land meant he knew God's promises weren't over because Sarah died. He believed God's promises didn't end at death. Abraham and Sarah didn't get to see all the promises fulfilled. I mean, he received some. He, he got Isaac, and he, he got riches, great riches, and he had a, big, a great name. He had protection. But land, when Abraham died, he had a burial plot. Uh, you think about a great nation, he had a son. That's it. Did he ever get to see the Messiah with his own eyes on earth? No, the Messiah came many, many years later. But listen, I just want you, here we come, we're coming into it. He believed God enough to know that his children and his children, his descendants, they would see God's promises. And he operated for their sake, even if he didn't get to see it. He was planting roots. Here's the truth Abraham believed, and I want you to get it. The best of God's promises come after death. You say, well, that, that, that's not very encouraging. No, the best of God's promises come after death. You see, Sarah didn't get to see it, and he wouldn't get to. But he had faith in God enough to know that death doesn't cancel God's promises. See, the best of God's promises come after death. And we get to enjoy some good promises while we're here, don't we? I mean, good promises like if I, God's presence, I'll have it if I seek God. If I'll draw nigh to him, he draws nigh to me. That's amazing. He's enabling. If I trust him, he enables me. If, I, if I'm dependent on him, he empowers me. If I humble myself, he shows me grace. If I obey, he provides blessings. There's lots of great promises, but here's the best promise. With God, you have hope beyond the grave. Hope beyond the grave. See, this is heavy and yet it's helpful or hopeful in that it's heavy because it means we will suffer loss. And sometimes it's heavy loss and life is hard and life is, is heavy sometimes. But it's hopeful because we know that someday it will all be better. And God's promises, God's word, it gives us hope beyond the grave. John three sixteen is a verse we all know. Let's quote it. Ready? For God so loved the world. Last two words. Everlasting life. And you know, we don't think about that being a promise, but it is. The promise is there's hope beyond the grave through Jesus Christ. You're a sinner, that's your problem, and hell is your consequence. But Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. And if you will believe in his payment, the Bible says that you can have everlasting life. I mean, I'm telling you, there, that's, if all we did was look at that one verse today, then that's all we would need to know that there's hope beyond the grave. John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said in that great chapter with Lazarus, he said to Mary or Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. 
hope beyond the grave. 2 Corinthians 5.8, it says basically to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. It's hope beyond the grave. I mean, that means if you die and you're in Christ. Now, let me just clarify again. If you don't have Jesus Christ, if you've never placed your faith in him, then you don't have hope beyond the grave. Hope beyond the grave is for those that are in Jesus Christ, that have at some point in their life placed their faith in him alone to save them from their sins. And there is hope beyond the grave for everybody that dies. Paul said, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if you die and your body is left here, then if you're in Christ, that doesn't mean that, that all hope is lost. It means that you're with Jesus. Hope beyond the grave. And I'm telling you, this is such a hopeful truth. And I know there's heaviness, but we have hope. And here's how I want to say it even more generally this morning. Is that God's promises give meaning to our losses. God's promises give meaning to our losses. Without the hope of eternal life, I have no context in which to hope within the losses. But Christian, can you imagine facing those losses without God's promises? You know how hopeless that would be? I'm thinking about three examples right now. There's a young boy, seven years old or eight years old here in, in very close around the Sioux Falls area. His name is Jake. We've been praying for Jake. And he has cancer. And we heard the report this week. We've been praying for him. But little Jake, seven years old, saw a picture of the football team uh, praying with them on Friday night before their football game. They made him an honorary member of their team. And yet they've given him weeks to live. Can you imagine, as the parent of a child like that, if you didn't have Jesus Christ, if you didn't have any hope, it'd be hopeless. It would only be heavy. This year has been hard for our, our family. I mean, we have... Um, our youth group in, in Oklahoma, the, the kids we invested in for a number of years in, in March, one of those young men, 19-year-old Christopher Howerton, riding his motorcycle there in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Somebody pulled out in front of him. He wasn't wearing a helmet. And he died instantly, 19 years old. In our youth group, we've known him since he was a baby. Just a few weeks ago, Josh Ramsey... 27 or 28 years old, he, uh, in our youth group, boy, we loved dearly, contracted COVID and died just within a, a week or so. He had been, he and his wife got married 10 weeks before he died. And you talk about sorrow, and if you don't have hope, there's no context of having any hope at all if you don't have Jesus Christ. There's another young man right now, his name's Kalen Ricketson, and he was in our youth group as well, and he's about 22, I think, 22 years old, and, and for five and a half years, he's been battling cancer. And we got word this week that, that Kalen could go any moment, not doing well at all. And all three of those young men were, were men we invested in and we loved. Samuel knows them. We're friends with all of them and their families and we love them dearly. And listen, if all we had was hope in this life only, what do you say in those situations? What do you tell somebody? How do you give any meaning to their loss without Jesus Christ? But what, but what we do know is we do know Jesus 
And all three of those young men had made, made a profession of faith as boys. They were saved and placed their faith in Christ. And we're going to see them again. There's hope beyond the grave. Those who've lost dear loved ones. I, I think about a child. If you've lost a child, I'm, how do you have any context without Christ of hope? Those of you who have lost a, a spouse and you've lost somebody that you were bonded with for years and you lost somebody like that. I can't even imagine what that would feel like. And I grieve for you going through that. That grief feels unsurvivable except that we have God's promises to hold on to in the darkest moments. We have this book. We have these truths. We have Christ's word, his finished work on the cross. All of these things do a supernatural work in us that we could never do for ourselves and they help us give meaning to the losses without them we'd have no hope but because of Jesus Christ there's no loss that you and I will ever face that we can't find hope in without God's promises it's only heavy but with God's promises it's heavy but hopeful are you dealing with loss a loss of a loved one a loss of a friend it's heavy if you don't know Christ. It's heavy if they don't know Christ. It's hopeful if you've placed your faith in Christ's finished work, though. It's hopeful because of his resurrection power. He rose from the dead, and he gives that power to us. He makes it available to us. Those in Christ will have a happy reunion someday. There are some situations you can't change and you can only hope they receive Christ as their savior before they died. And let me just give you two things about that. Listen, there's two things you can do. Number one, if your loved ones don't know about your spiritual condition, don't put them through that. If they don't know about you, if you've never placed your faith in Christ and you're just kind of playing by chance, don't put your, your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your children in the position at your funeral where they have to grieve without knowing if they have hope or not. So why don't you just place your faith in Jesus Christ and listen, don't put other people in the same position that many of us have been in before where someone passes away and they may never made a profession and never placed their faith in Christ and you're just trying to find anything with meaning. Would you today think about, no, listen, I don't want anybody else to be in that position. I need to place my faith in Jesus Christ because I need to be saved. But I also want to consider what my death would do to somebody else if I died right now. Number two, though, if you know people that aren't saved, if they aren't in Christ, and you don't know about their condition, tell them. Let them know. And you say, well, they're family, they won't hear it. I get it. I mean, it is hard with family. But listen, you'd rather do what you can to let them know how to be saved than at their funeral wonder if they ever receive Christ or not. Give meaning to the loss. There are some things you can still do to make, that, make a difference in that. Give meaning to your losses by attaching yourself to Jesus Christ. Listen, maybe you're, de you're dealing with loss and you're trying to figure out how to handle it. And it's not always a loss of a person. It could be loss of a job. It could be loss of a relationship. It could be betrayal. It could be a bad, a bad uh, hospital medical report. It could be loneliness, marital conflict of some kind. There's a lot of sorrow out there. And when disappointment strikes, you know what we try to do often? We try to minimize it. We say, it's not that bad. I'm fine. 
It's not that big of a deal. I'll be fine. You know, friends try to help and say, no, I'm, I'm fine. I don't, I'm good. Or they chime in and they try to minimize it. And they say, listen, there's, a, there's something better there for you. Or, they, or maybe they th- say, just think, it could have been a lot worse. And they minimize the sorrow. Listen, I don't think that's the answer. I don't think it's the answer to minimize sorrow. Abraham mourned. He grieved. He wept. And it's okay to have sorrow. It's okay to mourn and grieve. Deal with the loss. Don't dwell in it, but don't minimize it. Abraham's response, though, gives us some insight in what you can do if you're dealing with loss. First, give meaning to your loss with action. Give meaning to your loss with action. And by that, I mean Abraham mourned and it was okay, but he also proved his faith with action. We have hope beyond the grave, but if we don't rise up and do the things we know to do, we forget there's hope. And the practical things that we do help get us moving. You say, well, my action after loss is ice cream and Netflix. There may be a place and time for that. But you know what you need to do in the face of loss? You need to get busy. And I'm not saying that you forget the the loss. I'm not saying that you overlook it. I'm not saying you minimize it. Deal with the loss. But while you're dealing with the loss, take care of your business. Rise up and get active. Give meaning to your loss by by doing something productive. Number two, give meaning to your loss with persistence. See, Abraham, and he was going through these these negotiations with the Hittites. He didn't, the first time they said, okay, here's a tomb, use one of ours. He didn't immediately say, okay, I guess I'll just do that. No, he persisted. He said, no, I refuse to give in to those things that might diminish God's promises. I will persist in these things until I know that I've done all I could in faith. Be persistent. In other words, after you deal with loss someday, you may just think, well, I tried once and it didn't work, so I just gave up. No, persistence means you might have to try again tomorrow. You're going to have to get up again the next day and the next day, and you're going to have to be persistent. If you believe in God's promises, you have to be persistent enough to choose to resist the things that damage your hope. And I know it's heavy and hard, but make the choice that helps you focus on the things that feed hope, not hopelessness. I know people, the first thing they do when they deal with loss is, they, is they, they, you don't see them at church. You need in those moments to put yourself in a position to feed your hope. The last thing that you should do is, is create separation between you and God when there's loss. Hope is the only thing that gets you through it. And so to put yourself in a position where you no longer hear the things that will provide true hope, which is God's truth, it's a a bad idea. Third, give meaning to your loss by being an example to those who come behind you. Abraham could have walked away, but you know what he was thinking? He was thinking about his descendants. And he said, I'm going to buy a burial plot. I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm going to stay right here where I know I'm supposed to be because there are other people coming behind me. If you want to give meaning to your loss and you're trying to find motivation to give meaning to your loss, the the first thing you should think of is, wait, what's this going to do to my children? My response will impact them. So in the face of loss... Yes, it's hard, and yes, it's heavy, and yes, there's grief, but I'm going to get busy, I'm going to be persistent, and I'm going to think about the people coming behind me. 
I'm going to leave them with something to hold on to, some place they can attach their roots. And then fourth, give meaning to your loss by planting roots where you should. It's easy to get caught up in the peripherals. But at the end of your life, the only things that matter are the things you do for God. Loss comes either way. But the priorities we choose will either help the loss or be hopeful or heavy. So plant yourself where you know you ought to be. Listen, I just want to say, there's hope beyond the grave. Not everyone gets to experience it. Not everyone has meaning in the losses. I'm just asking you this morning, are you saved? Because hope beyond the grave is out of reach if you don't have Christ. This morning, you can have hope beyond the grave because you can have Christ. And if you want, some, if you want meaning for the loss of death and You've got to place your faith in Christ, and you can. Second, are you, are you suffering loss? Remember God's promises. They don't die with our losses. God's word and promises, they're greater than death. And hold on to them like an anchor. Are you, fight, are you fighting to find meaning in your losses? You know what? Mourning is okay. And I want to encourage you to take action and be persistent and, and don't uh, and remember those that are watching you and then plant yourself where you ought to be. Earthly losses don't diminish heavenly promises. Would you turn to First Thessalonians? First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four. I want to read what I consider to be the New Testament confirmation of Genesis 23. Abraham believed that God's promises don't end at death. And if you're a child of God, then you ought not believe that God's promises end at death too. Because look at what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says. I'll read this text. It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. But basically, the Thessalonians, they didn't really fully understand what happens. After death, they, would, they didn't know how it works. So he said, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. He says that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Because the truth is, people that don't know Christ, they sorrow without hope. But people that know Christ sorrow with hope. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that? You believe Jesus died and rose again? Okay, I thought so. Even so, them which all also would sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? If they've already died, they're coming back with him to greet us in the air. Look at verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself, himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Look, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Read the next verse, ready? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. There is hope beyond the grave. God's promises don't end with death. We will someday come to realize that God's promises are as true as they've ever been. 
And our future is as bright as it's ever been. And just because you suffer loss, and just because it's difficult, and just because you may have lost somebody that you love dearly, it doesn't mean that God's promises go out the window. It didn't work that way for Abraham, and it doesn't work that that way for us. Those that don't believe, they sorrow without hope. But believers that hold on to God's promises will have sorrow in the losses because they have hope in what's to come. Sorrow in the losses, but hope in what's to come. Someone once asked C.S. Lewis, why do the righteous suffer? And he said, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. Why? Well, because they have hope. Because we have hope. You have the resources, God's book full of promises to provide hope and meaning in your losses. I'm just going to encourage you today, don't detach from God's promises when you need to hold on to them the tightest. Have you lost hope? Are you sorrowing in a way that feels too heavy to survive? Well, go back to the promises. God's word's full of them. And it's easy to lose sight in the sorrow because of the sorrow. We need to look past the sorrow to Jesus Christ. Because there's hope. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.